Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Wednesday. It's October 25th. And Bob, I woke up this morning and it was real. It was really, really real. The Arizona Diamondbacks won game seven. They're going to the World Series. They're facing the Texas Rangers on Friday with game number one set to begin. So plenty of Arizona Diamondbacks discussion ahead. Let's set the scene, though, with today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Who should have been the NLCS MVP? Kevin Ginkle, Cattell Marte, and Gabrielle Moreno are your options. Cattell Marte was the uh, player voted for the award. 73% are on Cattell Marte's side of things. Gabrielle Moreno at 18% and Ginkle at 9% of the vote. They can obviously make a case for all three. You know, you know, Marte had the best numbers in the series and really has had the best numbers in the postseason to date for the Diamondbacks. But, you know, Genkel, I thought, got the most key outs of the series. And then Moreno, I think, had actually the best and uh, most key at-bats of the series. We will dive into that with our official answer around 1130 today. Still plenty of time for you to cast your vote, kdos1060.com. The NBA season got started yesterday. The Phoenix Suns were in uh, San Francisco, the Bay Area, taking on the Warriors. The question here, are the Suns a quote-unquote super team? No, leading the way at 77.8% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 22.2% of the vote. Okay, the uh, inspiration, uh, if that's the right word for this question, came when I was watching a little uh, NBA. Uh, you know, the I wasn't watching the NBA. In fact, I didn't watch any of this game last night because I was, you know, working on my Diamondbacks presentation for the last hour and watching a lot of their post game on MLB Network. But uh, I heard the term "super team" used on ESPN by Kendrick Perkins, who's thought for months that they're going to win the championship. It uh, seems like that uh, it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to win the championship uh, this year. Uh, and then I heard it again on TNT and their little pregame thing there. Uh, so that's how this question was, you know, kind of got to my attention. We so will. I guess they're a super team. Uh, that is over on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Still time for you to cast your vote. We'll answer it around 1130. We'll also dive into the Suns contest a little bit later on in today's program. If you'd like to join the show, please feel free to do so. Plenty of uh, things to talk about. 602-260-1060 is the number. Give us a call around 1030 and 1115 today. Once again, the number is 602-260-1060. All right, let's dive into it. The Arizona Diamondbacks, they are going to the World Series. It's the first World Series appearance since they won it all back in 2001. It was a 4-2 to win over... 
Philadelphia last night. They won game six and seven in Philadelphia to advance. The game seven starter, it was Brandon Fought. Four innings, four hits, two runs, two walks, seven strikeouts, and one home run. It wasn't as crisp as what we saw in game three, but still effective, and they were able to set things up for the bullpen. Yeah, I think the key at bat of this entire game was uh, really two key at bats. Uh, you know, the obvious pitch around to Brandon Marsh to load the bases in the bottom of the fourth inning, which brought up Johan Rojas with the bases loaded at two outs. And then, you know, basically you know, Fott took care of him. I think everybody seemingly, I would assume, pretty much everybody realized at that point that that was going to be Fott's last hitter just by the way that they've kind of done things uh, this offseason and uh, this postseason, excuse me. I keep saying offseason. This postseason, uh, that's because I, I think I and a few others anticipated it would be the offseason by now for the Diamondbacks, but they proved me and others wrong. Uh, so good for them, uh, but that, that that was the key at bat of the uh, you know the sequence. Those two hitters, uh, and uh, yeah, Rojas basically had no chance. Uh, so then you have uh, Ryan Thompson. He was absolutely incredible. One and a third innings pitch. He needed only 10 pitches. You know, I know that Tori Lovello certainly has a plan. He sticks with it. Uh, Brian. Uh, uh, on the broadcast, always referred to it as the circle of trust, and that includes Ryan Thompson and then uh, Andrew Solfrank, Kevin Ginkle, and Paul Seawall to conclude the game. So Ryan Thompson did his job here, and then they brought in Solfrank. It ended up being a really tense moment because there was two on, one out. Kevin Ginkle comes in. He gets uh, Turner to fly out, Harper to fly out, and then he rolls right into his typical eighth inning, and he gets three strikeouts. Yeah, Saul Franck has uh, been kind of tense moments this entire series, or was this entire series since it's now over with. I was actually uh, somewhat surprised that Saul Franck uh, started the seventh inning and uh, wasn't Ryan Thompson pitching that inning. I was very surprised by that, um, especially with it being Marsh uh, Rojas, who ended up being pitch hit for. Uh, that that was certainly an opportunity there for, for Ryan to continue how well he was pitching in those particular moments. But once again, kudos to Kevin Ginkle getting out of that high-stress situation and then continuing on in the eighth for how good he has been. When it comes to the offensive side of things for the Diamondbacks, no home runs were hit. They played with timely hitting, uh, forcing the issue with four stolen bases. Uh, they kept their pitching from being hit by Turner and Harper. They kept those two at-bats at bay. Uh, they certainly played kind of what we have seen more so throughout the season, baseball-wise, right. as opposed to the home run barrage that we saw to get them to this series. Totally agree with that. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it was more of the formula that we saw, especially early in the season from, say, the end of March when the regular season began until, like, the All-Star break, uh, really since July the 1st because the Diamondbacks' numbers offensively really sunk, you know, sunk in a lot of most areas, if not every area, uh, since July 1st, uh, from July 1st until the end of the regular season. But, you know, the uh, – more of the uh, you know base running defense and you know and starting pitching really kind of carried them to their early season success, and I think we certainly saw that during the final four of the last five games of the series against the Phillies, of which they obviously won four of those last five games. 
Marte got an important hit in the seventh, which allowed Perdomo to third. Carroll then up in a position for the sacrifice fly to bring, bring Perdomo home to make it four to two. Marte is now batting over 500 in the seventh inning or later in the playoffs. He also has 16 straight hits to start his postseason career. Uh, so Marte's numbers obviously speaking for themselves in the playoffs. He probably isn't going to get a ton of credit because he's not flashy. But once again, Perdomo, he should be getting a ton of credit for what he's been doing in the nine hole, whether it's uh, timely bunts, whether it's uh, forcing a really good at bat, whether it's drawing a walk, being able to turn it over to the top of the order, being on base, forcing pitchers to use a lot of pitches on him. He did a great job in that nine hole. Yeah, and I think this uh, you know, really started some during the regular season, which we talked about a little bit. Uh, but I definitely thought that he had the key at bat of the entire Milwaukee series uh, when the, you know, basically uh, Peralta was you know, mowing him down and he only allowed one hit through four or five innings of that, se- that second game against Milwaukee. And uh, Perdomo started that rally with a walk in that inning and then obviously got to the top of the lineup. And Peralta was out like three or four hitters uh, later. He was out of the game. Uh, the other thing that was interesting here, so Carroll had struggled at the plate uh, prior to Game 7, and then he was tremendous. Uh, he obviously had the sacrifice fly. He was 3 of 3, a couple of stolen bases. Uh, so he was great there. Was it surprising, though, that they were talking about it on the broadcast that Phillies manager Rob Thompson had told them, had told the announcers pregame that they were thinking about pulling Ranger Suarez when Carroll came around a second time? Well, Carroll came around a second time. Carroll even came around a third time. And Ranger Suarez pitched all three times to him. Yeah, I guess it was. I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure how many alternatives he had left because obviously Thompson during the last few games of this series had lost faith in some of his usual bullpen, uh, you know, the guys they put in certain situations. Uh, the rookie kid whose name I never remember. Uh, who wasn't very good in this series. And obviously, yeah, Craig Kimbrell. I mean, they just completely lost trust in him entirely. Yeah, definitely on on that front for for Craig Kimbrell. So, yeah, so that reduced his, you know, the the length of the bullpen. Obviously, they end up, uh, you know, going with Wheeler, and uh, they were only going to throw him X number of pitches, uh, as as Thompson, uh, you know, explained after the. uh, after the game yesterday and the post game and the I guess you know postseason, uh, you know, as far as uh, you know the, the head the heading into the postseason, but uh, they weren't going to put Wheeler in any danger as far as an injury, etc., by throwing overthrowing him in the uh, the final game of this series, no matter what the situation. Paul, Paul Seawald, he came in, he got a sixth save of the postseason, and Schwarber, Turner, and Harper never had another chance in the ninth. I think that that was so important, yeah. uh, not putting anyone on base to have those guys looming. Well, I want to go back to the previous inning, the fact that Ginkle didn't you know, allow anybody to reach base, and that set up that situation where they never had to face the top of the order again. Absolutely. I think the Diamondbacks just truly played a complete complimentary game of baseball, and it was a a thing of beauty and so much fun to watch. True. If it wasn't for a couple bonehead base running moves, they would have won by more, but who, who talks about that now other than, I guess, me?
Yeah, well, you know, Moreno there brought Carroll home. He was uh, searching for a double, and he got picked off there. I hate that. It drives me crazy. I don't know where this started. You just give away an out when you're going to score a run anyway. And this has been going on for many years now in baseball. That is just a stupid play. And Corbin Carroll not knowing where uh, Trey Turner was positioned earlier in the game cost him another run. Uh, So the Diamondbacks, though, will get the World Series started, as I mentioned, on Friday in Texas. It's going to be 2-3-2 once again. Uh, So Texas on Friday and Saturday, and then the Diamondbacks come home for games three and four and five on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Let's get into the Rangers side of things on the other side of the break. They are the ALCS winners, and then we'll also talk a little bit about uh, these two teams going up against one another for the start of the World Series and just kind of the journey that these two teams have been on for the last two years. If you look back at uh, maybe the sentiments of both of these fan bases just two years ago in 2021, we'll take your phone calls 1030 and 1115 602 260 1060 is the number 602 260 1060 1030 and 1115. But more ALCS and World Series conversation on the other side of the break. It is the extra point on this Monday, October 25th. The Dan Patrick Show, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. This is just uh, something I like to call breakfast. With big-name guests, timely sports information, and more on KTUS AM 1060. 21 right here on KDUS AM 1060. I apologize in the last segment. I said it's Monday. It's not. It's Wednesday. It feels like a Monday, though, because I'm all hyped up. There's so much to talk about. There's a lot of joy happening here in the Valley. The Diamondbacks going to a World Series for the first time since 2001. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday, October 25th, right here in the Extra Point. All right. You're hyped up on Monday. I'm usually exhausted from watching 700 hours of football over the weekend, and I'm just trying to get through the Monday show. <laughs> I'm usually hyped on a Monday, on a Friday, and then who knows what happens I'm, Tuesday, I'm, Wednesday, I'm Thursday. Hyped, <laughs> I, I'm hyped up on Friday for sure because uh, you know we have the Friday spread, and I got all this information that I want to get in in two hours about all these games. So I'm raring to go that day, but. Uh, by 12.05, I'm completely tanked. I'm exhausted and just looking for you know, some kind of rest before the Saturday and Sunday barrage of games starts. That's true. It is a barrage. Start Starts very early on a Saturday. Uh, back to some Major League Baseball conversation here. The ALCS winners are the Texas Rangers. The Rangers beat the Astros. It was really not a very good competitive game. 11-4 to in that game. Seven. Bruce Bochy. Has still never lost a Game 7. Dusty Baker has not won a Game 7 in their two respective careers. Interestingly enough, in this particular ALCS series, no team in the series won a home game. And then when we flip this conversation to the Rangers, Adolis Garcia... Wow, he's uh, he's hot at the plate, to say the least, right? Hit home runs in four straight games and set a postseason record with 15 RBIs. That's true, and so much for that four-strikeout game. <laughs> so whatever, it doesn't matter now. 
Uh, also, I'll just add to what you said about Bochi and Baker. Uh, Bochi also beat Baker in the best of five game uh, when San Francisco beat the Cincinnati Reds back in the day. And this notion that Dusty Baker is a surefire Hall of Famer to me is absurd because I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame personally. I think he's he'd be part of the Hall, you know, the pretty good you know manager Hall, but Hall of Fame, no. Uh, there have been few managers in baseball, maybe ever, but certainly in the last you know 50 years that I've been paying attention, that have lost and had to do you know made bad decisions. I don't think there wasn't a bad decision in this game because they just got killed uh, from the start. But yeah, he's made some game uh, and series altering decisions when he was with San Francisco when they lost in the World Series. The Reds, as I just mentioned, when he faced Bochi. And obviously the Nationals, when he was still the manager there, and as soon as he left, they won a World Series. Uh, and, you know, what we're discussing here as well, too, is because the reports are coming out that he is considering this uh, strongly, 2023 being his last year. Yeah, that's kind of been out there unofficially for, I think, several months. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it would be a, a surprise if he came back at this point. Maybe, uh, you know, they got to make a decision here on that, though. And I don't think, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't think there's anybody in their organization that would be a, you know, obvious successor. Uh, so, you know, like I said, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I'm just not familiar with everybody in their organization, but I don't think there is. Uh, Bob Melvin's off the table now for sure because he was officially named the manager in San Francisco this morning. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure where they would go. Yeah, and, and maybe this is just kind of a, a inflection point for the Astros after, uh, you know, all the straight years that they've participated in an ALCS uh, and just kind of looking at the age of some of their players, where they're at. Uh, I know that they were dealt a bunch of injuries to uh, some of the pitching yeah. staff to start the year and, and throughout the season, uh, which is why they had to, you know, bring the bring Justin Verlander back in a trade before the deadline. So just maybe an inflection point for the organization. But I don't think they're a very old team. As, as long as they've got Alvarez and Tucker, <laughs> those are two pretty good starting points. And, you know, Tuve seemingly not getting any, any older, it looks like. Uh, maybe a little bit on defense, but certainly not if you throw him a fastball when he's uh, at the plate. Back to the Rangers here. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, he has been sensational for the Rangers. 3-0 uh, and in the postseason with a 2.16 ERA. That also includes two and a third innings pitched uh, that he was asked in Game 7. Yeah, and he's a free agent to be. I mean, ding, 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 right? <laughs> as far as uh, the the pay, as far as the uh, the salary and and what he's going to make in this off season, I'm curious to see how many teams would actually be interested and have uh, the uh, payroll to go out and get him. Uh, but uh, he's going to be the number one. It's not like there's a uh, you know a, a boatload of free agent pitchers that are going to be out there on the market. But, uh, you know, he's uh, – there's been uh, – I can't rem – you know, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but in the last, last two or three years, I can't remember somebody that's a starting pitcher that has helped his stock more based on not just the postseason, but he's done a really good job after he was traded from St. Louis to Texas and obviously had plenty to do with them, you know, getting to 90 wins, et cetera. And there have been few players uh, in any sport – 
that I've been more wrong about in recent years than Jordan Montgomery, and maybe I just got sucked in what the Yankees were thinking when they traded him. They just didn't think he was good enough to be in their starting rotation in the postseason. And they were, I, th- I think you could make a case that they weren't wrong about that because uh, that's when the Yankees, not this year, but you know, a couple years ago, like two years ago, still had a uh, you know, lot of starting pitching. And uh, that obviously, due to injury and you know, maybe a couple of bad decisions, has uh, dwindled significantly. Yeah, I was going to say, so Jordan Montgomery is 30, and it's just kind of been a wild journey for him here uh, with the Yankees. And then, to your point, they're being traded just because they didn't think that uh, you know he had what it t- took to be a part of their starting rotation. Uh, spent uh, you know a year with the Cardinals and then uh, ahead of the trade deadline here with the Rangers and making an incredible impact. Yeah, and obviously St. Louis didn't think he was part of their long-term plan either. They were going to pay him, I guess. But I mean, yeah, they wanted to, you know, you know, pony up some money. Not as much as they would have to now, obviously. But they weren't even willing to pay him when he was going to make less than he's going to make now. Then the next pitcher who has been sensational for the Rangers, Nathan Ovaldi, uh, he also, I would say, is making himself quite a name uh, in his postseason career for, for what he's done previously with the Red Sox and now what he's been doing so far since his return from, from the injured list. Yeah, I don't think this has changed at all because you know, he had that reputation when he was in Boston and you know, he's you know, obviously... Yeah, made a. I think the most amazing thing about Avaldi is that he looked like he was you know, not good. I mean, he wasn't good after he came back from the injury. Uh, that you know he was tremendous in the first half of the season, but pitched a ton of innings and went on the IL. And when he came back, he got clobbered in the majority of his starts. And you kind of wondered even going into the playoffs when uh, I'm sure that they didn't really know what they were going to get out of him. But it's turned into his playoff history is amazing. And I believe it's eight or nine and one now that he is, or the team that he's pitching for, whether it be Boston or Texas, when he makes a postseason start. Next up here for the Rangers, they also made a move uh, in addition to Jordan Montgomery at the trade deadline for Max Scherzer. He came off of the injured list here. Uh, Now the question marks are, is he going to get stronger and more comfortable back from injury? How are they going to use him in this World Series? I have no idea. And I'm guessing we're not going to really find out about any of this officially. Uh, Maybe we will today. But I'm pretty sure there's no media availability today for the Arizona or Texas. Uh, So maybe there'll be somebody, you know, somebody leaks a story or the organization is the one that usually where you get that from. Somebody will tell somebody, uh, you know, somebody in the organization will tell somebody in the media that we're going to go with this guy or we're leaning towards this guy. Maybe that'll come out, but I don't know if we're going to do anything officially as far as uh, things like that until the two managers have media availability, which to my knowledge is Thursday. So when we kind of go back just two years, 2021, we have to really appreciate the journeys that these two teams have been on, and uh, they've also done it differently. Uh, Texas lost 102 games in 2021. The Diamondbacks lost 110 games in 2021. Now look at these two teams here facing each other in the World Series. Uh, USA Today Sports, if you looked at the start of the MLB season and what the team's payrolls were, Texas came in at number 
number nine at over $195 million. The Diamondbacks ranked number 21st at over $116 million. Well, I think teams started taking, or the people in the sport, or you know, us or whoever, started to take the Rangers seriously at the start of the 2022 season, uh, the offseason, the previous winter, when they signed Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon within like, I'm not joking here, like a day or two, and paid them a ton of money. And I remember saying that they're going to be unbelievable on defense up the middle. And they already had some defensive pieces and uh, just looking, I really thought about this World Series for two seconds, but one of my first thoughts here, when I am thinking about it a little bit right now, because I'm guessing that's one of the next questions, is that as a baseball fan, I'm, gonna re- I'm really looking forward to seeing this series because there's going to be, unless something really out of the ordinary happens, there's going to be really good defense in this series from two, diff- from two teams, both teams are really good on defense. Uh, and flipping this to the Diamondbacks side of things and how they've you know constructed their roster, I think a ton of credit has to also go to Mike Hazen, specifically for the trade, getting Gabrielle Moreno. You have a cornerstone catcher now, also bringing in Lourdes Gurriel. That's true. The offseason trade and then obviously Seawald during the season. Tommy Pham, who's had some up and down moments, I think it's safe to say. Uh, during the postseason here, they added him. And, you know, the Ryan Thompson move, you know, he was let go in Tampa. He was awful uh, this season in Tampa. And, yeah, they, you know, kind of waited along as long as they could to keep him. And they just had to let him go because he was really bad for them. And the fact that they picked him up in August and he's been such a key member of their bullpen, uh, he also, uh, you know, being uh, – yeah, you know, certainly. Uh, you know, I think that that's the, those two additions also in addition. You know, the the off season trade for sure. And Darton Dalton Varcho was bad uh, this year in T- Toronto too. So that make that trade even more lopsided than than, uh, than even the most optimistic person thought it might be. We'll have plenty of time to kind of dissect what the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, plan for success, the matchups, et cetera, as the week unfolds, preparing for game one on Friday. We'll turn our attention, though, to you if you'd like to chime in. 602-260-1060, the Diamondbacks making the World Series for the first time since they won it all in 2001. 602-260-1060, if you'd also like to deviate from that, we'll take your calls about the Phoenix Suns, the NBA uh, opening set of games, the rings for the Nuggets yesterday. They beat the Lakers, the Suns beating the Warriors yesterday. 12 games slated for today in the NBA. NFL, of course, college football, 602-260-1060. We'll take your calls on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. Ten thirty-eight, right here 
on KDOS AM 1060. It is the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. The Suns opened up the 2023-2024 season on the road facing the Warriors yesterday. It was a Phoenix 108-104 victory. Bradley Beal did not play, dealing with a back ailment. So starting in his place was Grayson Allen. Struggled in the start, 0 of 6 from the floor. Uh, but Devin Booker, he continues to be pretty great for the team once again. In the fourth quarter, he was 3 of 5. He also assisted on three straight buckets for the final three Suns possessions. In fact, if you take it a step further, he scored or assisted on the Suns' last 15 points of the game, for the game, 13 of 21, 3 of 8 from 3. But when you parse it out, he was 12 of 13 from uh, inside the arc. 32 points, 8 assists, and 6 rebounds for Devin Booker. Okay, this is all news to me. I knew they won. Uh, I didn't watch any of this game. I was here you know, when the Diamondbacks game ended. I was watching a little on the MLB. Not, uh, actually watching, uh, that was on TBS, right? TBS. Uh, the on-field uh, you know, situation, and then I watched MLB Network for literally the next hour and a half or whatever, and I kind of forgot the Suns were even playing, quite frankly, at that point. Uh, so gave me, a, I think, a legitimate excuse to miss one of the 82 Suns regular season games, of which I really don't have much interest in personally. Uh, Eric Gordon, he was 4 of 16, 2 of 9 from 3, 10 points off the bench, but he made both of his threes in the fourth quarter. Uh, then also, Wanatami Wan was as advertised. He was 2 of 4 from 3 for 8 points. Kevin Durant, 7 of 22, 18 points and 11 boards. Ooh. Nurkic, another new piece for the Suns here, 14 points and 14 rebounds. The Suns did have 19 turnovers, so that'll definitely be something that they're looking to clean up. And admittedly as well, I was focused heavily on the Arizona Diamondbacks. So seeing how rotations were playing out, et cetera, is something that I'm going to have to wait for another game, but specifically got to see uh, Devin Booker's dominance there in the fourth quarter once again. And then conversely for the Warriors, they're bringing in former son Chris Paul, 34 minutes for him, 4 of 15, 0 of 6 from 3, 14 points, 9 assists in his Warriors debut, and Steph Curry, 8 of 20 for 27 points. You know, obviously this is a long road ahead, and as I mentioned, didn't get to really see the different rotations. You know, how are you going to integrate the bench? Is, is Devin Booker going to play some minutes with the bench? Is Kevin Durant going to play some minutes for the bench? And then obviously not having Bradley Beal, we still didn't get to see a whole lot of how it's all going to unfold. Okay, a couple things. Draymond didn't play, and I guess he's not going to play for the first few games. I don't even know what's wrong with him, but I know he had some kind of procedure in the offseason. So there's that. Uh, also, the rotation thing, I assume, uh, because this happens with almost every team, uh, there's going to be many rotation changes during the season. And uh, anything that you see at this time of the year, whether you're an NBA regular season fan or not, pretty much is not going to be the same as it is once we get to the playoffs in April. Uh, so when it comes to the Phoenix Suns, next up for them is a Thursday contest against the Lakers. 
Let's transition our attention here to college football, the AP Top 25. There is some movement here with what happened over the weekend. Georgia remains in the number one spot. Uh, They were coming off of a bye. They are set to play Florida this Saturday. Yeah, both of them are off a bye. Uh, So, you know, the cocktail party, which we're not allowed to call it the cocktail party anymore, but because it was a cocktail party forever, and some of us are old. We go, we're never going to let that moniker lie or disappear. It's going to stay. Sorry, but uh, I don't give a damn about political correctness, obviously. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, Georgia is kind of a bizarre team in itself. Some weeks I think that they're pretty good. And then actually sometimes in the same game I think they're pretty good and then not good. <laughs> so I have no idea <laughs> what, what to expect. Obviously Brock Bowers not going to be playing in this game or for the next uh, you know, handful of games at least because he had the knee surgery. Number two. Or that, Mich- I'm sorry, that was the, an- the ankle surgery. My bad. The Num- ankle surgery. Number two in the AP Top 25 is Michigan, and obviously the attention here is on the Stein-stealing story, and it is escalating uh, with the now-suspended staffer with various different reports now coming out how they bought tickets to games. ESPN is reporting to more than 30 games over the past three years, so we'll have to continue to monitor how this situation is going to unfold. Yeah. Uh, including teams that they might be playing in the college football playoff, including at least one Texas game. So, yeah. So you can make your own decision or whether Harbaugh had knowledge of this. Uh, you know, some might think it's kind of questionable that a guy that's just a staffer is doing this on his own, but that's your decision to make. Uh, Deion Sanders was asked about it. He said, I don't know how accurate that stuff is. I mean, everybody's trying to get an edge. Everybody's trying to get an edge wherever they can. You can have someone's whole game plan. They could mail it to you. You've still got to stop it. So that's at least one side of the story. Okay, when Colorado is, like, eliminated for being in a bowl game this year, is anybody going to care what Deion says anymore, or is that going to just continue forever? You know, it, it is also interesting here because Michigan does have a very good team. Uh, they're sitting here at number two in the AP Top 25 undefeated. Uh, they're not allowing an opponent so far to have scored more than 10 points. They're scoring more than 30 points a game. They're certainly rolling. We could have a conversation about strength of schedule. So things kind of trending in the direction toward okay. what <laughs> what things mean against the Ohio State game. But let's say that they end up in the, uh, you know, college football playoff. Does this whole thing have that uh you know asterisk around it i have no idea let's wait and see if that all happens uh you know there is no discussion about their strength of schedule it's the worst of any top five team in like 20 some years according to cbs sports network uh so i'm not gonna assume they're correct i think the most impressive thing about michigan thus far i don't care who you're playing they have had zero not one Zero defensive snaps inside the 10-yard line this season. Not one. That is pretty impressive. Uh, No red zone opportunities to fail about. Well, red zone, yes, but none inside the 10. Ohio State comes in at number three uh, following their big win over Penn State. They will face Wisconsin this Saturday. That's a tricky game. Uh, You got coming off the win from last Saturday – yeah, Wisconsin night game on a Saturday night. That place gets crazy in day games, especially night games. 
the last uh, three times that Wisconsin has faced a top five opponent, they've won two of those games. They're talking about home games. They've won two of those. Also, Luke Fickle, an Ohio State alum, was the interim coach uh, between Jim Trestle being fired and Urban Meyer being hired in 2011, and that was a disaster. That was the worst Ohio State season this century by far. I think they were one game above 500 and lost like the last four or five games of the regular season. And there's also several members, uh, some several Ohio State alumni that are on Fickle's staff in Wisconsin. So there's all kinds of things going on, uh, all kinds of uh, sidebar stories having that game on Saturday night. That's, as I mentioned, a Saturday night game. Uh, and uh, and I've been there, uh, not in the night game, but I've been to Madison for home games way back in the day, and it was crazy then, and it's still pretty crazy now. They do that jump around thing at the end of the third quarter, which is really pretty crazy, pretty fun. Uh, if I you know, could actually physically jump around anymore, I probably would if I were in the stadium. <laughs> uh, number four in the AP Top 25 is Florida State. It would have been really interesting if Riley Leonard could have stayed healthy in that contest from last week. They will face Wake Forest this Saturday. Riley Leonard should have never been allowed to play in that game. Um, I don't understand why he was. Uh, he clearly was hurt, didn't make it through the game. At least they were smart enough not to put him back in the game when he was begging to go back into the contest in the fourth quarter. All that being said, and their backup quarterback is awful. I mean, really, really bad. There, can, there can't be many teams that have a bigger drop from their number one to number two quarterbacks, at least ranked teams in the country. Uh, so, uh, you know, the fact that Duke was actually winning the game at, uh, in Tallahassee at that point. Now, the good news for Florida State is they continue to be an incredible Second half, and specifically on Saturday night against Duke, fourth quarter team. You know, they won the game 32 to 20. They were down 20 to 17 after three quarters in that game. And this all, this, this comeback that they had in this game, you know, included yet another special teams touchdown, a kick return this time. And I, you know, I don't have the statistical evidence to back this up, but just watching games pretty closely, I think, at least pretty closely every Saturday. I don't think there's a top team in college football or maybe any team in college football that has been better on special teams this season than Florida State. Uh, number five is UW. They squeaked out a win over ASU. Their rankings here didn't drop or improve. They will play Stanford on Saturday. How could they not go down? I mean, my God, there's just... Uh, those are the people that I keep... I've heard lots of people on various platforms podcasts, television networks, etc., proclaim uh, that Washington is the best team in the country. And I don't understand this. I've never understood it to begin with. Their defense is not good. Uh, and uh, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, ASU actually had yards against them. They just aren't, you know, they didn't have a good enough quarterback to take advantage of that. They should have had two touchdowns, uh, but, you know, they just missed wide open receivers, and there's that. But, uh yeah, I'm stunned that Washington is still ranked fifth. And the good news, uh, at least for me and others who question Washington, and I think I might be guess, the only person that questions Washington, is that uh, they win. And uh, hopefully we can take some advantage point, uh, take an advantage point spread wise. And uh, they're still going to be uh, highly power ranked and so forth. And the odds makers still like them. So good, because at some point 
they're going to get knocked off. They're not going to finish the regular season undefeated. We'll get through 6 through 10 in college football AP Top 25 on the other side of the break. Plus, we'll have plenty about the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals to get things started in hour number two. And if you'd like to join the program in hour number two, you can. We'll take some phone calls around 1115, 602, 260, 1060, and still plenty of time for you to cast your vote on the KDOS1060.com poll question, as well as our Twitter poll question at KDOSAM1060. Those questions will get officially answered around 1130 today. But more college football on the other side of the break it is the extra point right here on KDUS AM 1060. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m here on KDUS AM 1060. October 25th, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. It is the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Uh, continuing with the college football AP Top 25, we just went through one through five. Continuing on with number six here, it is Oklahoma. They squeaked out a 31-29 to victory over UCF. And now it's a trip to Kansas to face the Jayhawks. Yeah, they were very fortunate to win that game last Saturday. Uh, they mentioned 31-29 over a really mediocre, maybe a little less than mediocre USF team. That was the Dylan Gabriel Bowl, uh, the school where he started his career. And obviously he was actually going to transfer to USC uh, before, uh, you know, if I remember correctly. Uh, before Caleb Williams ended up there, but you know, he obviously did not do that. Smart move. Ended up at OU. Uh, I'm a little concerned. Not a little uh, concerned's the wrong word, but I think it should be pointed out this game would have been much easier uh, for OU if uh, they obviously had played better defense, but also they missed two field goals uh, that were relative chip shots, and that made it a sweat job at the end. They had to you know, hold off a two-point conversion at the end of that game to win by two, and you know, not, you know, they would have been headed to overtime had uh, UCF. Uh, they ran a ridiculously dumb play in uh, the two-point conversion play. I'm guessing that they thought there was going to be man defense and it was zone, and this trick play that they ran had no chance to succeed. Kind of reminded me of the Cardinals' fake punt on Sunday, which had no chance to succeed. Uh, number seven in the AP Top 25 is Texas, but the big question here is how much time off for Quinn Ewers, and what does Texas do at quarterback now? There are reports that he's only going to miss a game or two, uh, but you know, I don't think that Texas is setting official. And, you know, why would they? You don't have to, so they don't usually most schools. He has a grade two ACL sprain or MC, you know, whatever, AC joint sprain, excuse me. Right, in his shoulder. Uh, to, the, to, to the right shoulder. And uh, like I said, he, they said he's going to miss some time, but uh, you know, some of the media people in Texas seem to think one or two games. 
needless to say, this would uh, seemingly uh, possibly open the window for OU. Uh, it still looks like that they're going to be playing in the conference championship game, but you know, Texas cannot afford another loss whether yours is playing, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, playing or not because they lost the first time around OU in the Cotton Bowl uh, earlier this month. Number eight, uh, it's a huge test this weekend. College game day is there for Oregon at Utah. You know, can Utah get up for yet another game after they just toppled UCLA or USC, excuse me, um, but Oregon is going to be a much uh, more physical opponent? Yeah, that's true. I mean, Oregon's offensive line, which had a few questions before the season started, uh, has gotten much better during the season, which is, you know, a good thing. And I uh, think it's also, you know, important to try to be able to monitor whether teams do get better and, you know, what area, if they do, why are they getting better? And clearly the Oregon offensive line has been much improved during the season. Number nine, Alabama. They're on a bye this week. They'll be preparing to face LSU. And 10, Penn State dropped three spots after their loss to Ohio State. They'll face Indiana. LSU also on a bye this week, heading into that game next week. That could be fun. Yeah, should be. Jaden Daniels, you can make a case that he should certainly be in the Heisman Trophy discussion. And uh, unfortunately for him, no fault of him, they lost two games. Yeah, the defense has really uh, let them down. Actually, yeah, but the defense, the second half of that Missouri game, and maybe that win is looking more, more uh, better now than it did at the time, they were much, in fact, they made deciding plays in that game that helped them win in Columbia against Missouri earlier this month. Hour number two of the Extra Point coming up on the other side of the break.